and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Cogitate. Oh, this is rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a podcast where we teach you old classical things, uh, hopefully in a way that isn't objectionable. So we talk about philosophy, theology, books, sometimes art, which may, you know, Wars. be a bad idea. That's great. And yeah, that's kind of what we do. And so I'm here. My name is AJ Hannenberg, and I'm joined by my compatriots, Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Thomas Magby. Hi. And at one time, all three of us worked at a small private school down here in Austin, Texas called Veritas Academy. Thomas has moved to a math career. This is true. I'm in a master's of data science program at UT. Doing all sorts of maths. Doing math. And Graham is making no personal progress. No personal progress. (laughs) Yeah. No changes. I've... uh... This is what peak performance looks like. <laughs> and so I thought, because uh, because he's not moving along, I'd give him some advice. Right? I'd tell him some things oh, that he needs to know. And uh, my first one was, man, hop in the shower every now and again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do you some good. Yeah, You've well, been talking I'm, about I'm, how smelly you are. I feel smelly today. Today was a long teaching day. I'm, I feel kind of gross. Um, yeah. So today we are going to be talking a little bit about advice. Um, this idea came to me uh, when AJ was doing his last episode on existentialism. Giving advice? No, no. It was <laughs> on... Episode? That, AJ, you need some advice. We yeah, need, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, giving, we, no, 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 no. We need to work on these episodes, AJ. <laughs> it's like I was thinking like, man, this is just a trainer. And no, <laughs> this, no, no. This could be so much better. Um, no, no. When AJ was talking about with, with existentialism, um, and I may need to get brushed up on this because I'm not, I'm not perfect on thinking through this. Is it that your existence precedes essence. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the phrase. Okay. Yes. And the idea being that you exist and then out of your existence, you, you sort of tease out or you form your own, is it meaning or your own nature? Kind of both. You don't have a nature, yeah. I guess would be the right way to, you don't have a nature and so you make of life whatever you want. Of mm-hmm. it. Okay, cool. Which could be meaning or purpose or whatever. So I was thinking about this. Do you agree with this. that, AJ? Is that a mm. correct characterization? Yeah, I'm not sure if they would all say you don't have a nature, but they I think they would say that you have the choice about what to make of your nature. People mm-hmm. will tell you what you are supposed to be, society will say certain things, but you are here and you will you you have to decide how to take that. Are you yeah. going to follow it, not not follow it? People are going to tell you stuff and it's it eventually comes down to you and you exist before you make any of those decisions. Yeah. Yes. Um and so this this idea I I sort of um this was bouncing around in my head and we were finishing up Romeo and Juliet in my English class and there was this passage that kind of, uh, um, I thought through this passage with this lens of your last podcast, thinking about, um, thinking through your nature and specifically on the human interaction of giving advice to one another. How do you give advice? So um, just, this is probably going to be a little bit of a review for longtime classical stuff listeners, but we're going to talk a little bit about persuasive discourse and what persuasive discourse is. Interesting. So there, um, classically speaking, when, when it comes to rhetoric, there are three kinds of discourse. There's persuasive discourse, there's judicial discourse, and there's ceremonial discourse. Uh, ceremonial discourse is the type of speech that you would give on an occasion that is happening right now. Gentlemen, I've gathered us here today in order to commemorate this 240 whatever episode podcast. <laughs> I wish. I, I don't even know where we're at. What are we? 185, Yes, yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're getting close to 200. I know, man. Oh, we got to do a party. Listeners, if you have an idea of what to do for our 200th episode party or our 1 millionth unique download, which is also, also coming, coming up, up. Um, drop us like a line. I, I would really love to read like Waiting for Godot as a group, but it's not in the public domain yet. Oh. We can't. We can't? Really this get in trouble? This will be episode 184. 184, man. All right, we're trucking. Anyway, um... Um, so ceremonial discourse, giving a speech for something right now, best man speech, maid of honor speech, uh, a eulogy, these kinds of things. Um, judicial discourse is talking about, uh, uh, judging a thing that has happened in the past. Uh, so-and-so and such and such happened, um, uh, this is what it means. This is how we should feel about it. And ceremonial kind of is to judge a thing in a present. So yes. to praise or to blame. To praise or blame something. And then persuasive discourse is to persuade something that ought to be done in the future. This is what we should do. Um, and that is the formalized speech version is having a persuasive discourse. And many classical schools have a senior thesis where they have a persuasive discourse be the capstone project. We as Christians should do X. We as Americans should implement Y. And here are my reasons. Persuasive discourse. This is something we do at Veritas and something that AJ and I and Thomas have all been involved in at various points in our time here 
uh, the school, and it's often a capstone project. That's sort of the more formalized version. The there is the sort of um, the the version of it that takes place in the church community, and that word for it is exhortation. And if you are going to exhort somebody, you are trying to persuade somebody. Um, uh, and you're trying to sort of like move somebody often to a higher moral decision. Um, when when Paul exhorts, uh, um, not I think I remember as a kid like sitting in a in a church service and the, the the preacher came to the front and did the lectionary reading and talked about like the great exhort uh, extort ex extortion oh. as opposed to exhortation. Yeah, yeah. Like I think they they ext- they was talking about a lot of extorting as opposed to exhorting, which was very funny. Um, this was also the same preacher who sometimes messed up words. And I remember him, um, saying once when he was talking about, um, that we should refrain from sexual immortality. (laughs) I remember, uh, and I think I remember my father saying something like that. It was like, that sounds, that sounds kind of (laughs) crazy. Sexual God. (laughs) Sexual immortality. Um, anyway, that was, that was a funny trail. Um, So to exhort somebody is to usually to call or persuade somebody to some sort of like higher moral thing. Paul exhorts us to, um, you know, to uh, not brag about our work or and to live peacefully and quietly and work with our hands like in First Thessalonians. Right. There's an exhortation. And then I would say like the sort of the common version of persuasive discourse is advice, giving advice to somebody. Um, And. Uh, when you're giving advice, you're trying to solve a problem. They've either come to you or they you're giving advice and it was not asked for, and that causes its own uh, host of problems. Um, but I, I sort of was thinking about this idea of um, advice giving um, with this with this question of if our essence proceeds, sorry, if our existence proceeds our essence, then how is advice ever going to work? on somebody. Like, okay, I'm sort of putting the cart before the horse. Let me go to the section in Romeo and Juliet that I want to uh, sort of look at. Okay. And so set up, setting it up. So Friar Lawrence and Romeo are talking about Romeo's predicament in Act scene, Act 3, Scene 3. So uh, F- Romeo has killed Tybalt. He has married Juliet. And then on his way home from church, uh, he kills his cousin uh, in a street fight, and he kills Tybalt. And then the prince... Uh, of Verona has banished Romeo from Verona. Well, it's a pretty busy Saturday. Yeah, it's a very busy Saturday, um, and he has now been banished. He hasn't even um, been able to be with Juliet on their wedding night, and he is very upset that he's been banished. And uh, he is sulking. He's not even just sulking. He is he is near coming apart in Friar Lawrence's cell, and Friar Lawrence is trying to convince him that. The prince's banishment is a mercy, and Romeo is saying that prince's banishment is a doom. We, he says, we call the the damned in hell banished, and there is no there is no life outside of Verona's walls. And Juliet is like an angel in heaven, and I've been banished in hell. And he's very sort of poetic about it. And Friar Lawrence is like, well, screw your poetry. <laughs> like, go to Mantua, buckle down for a week. Heck, even if you buckle down for a year, this will blow over. You're still going to be married. Come back, and uh, we'll make it right. And Romeo. Um, says that he can't. Um, um, and fr- so Romeo goes in this whole big speech as to why uh, he, he is not going to calm down and why banishment is worse than death. And he wished he was dead as opposed to banished. And Friar Lawrence says, Thou fond madman, hear me a little speak. Romeo replies, Oh, thou will speak again of banishment. Uh, fr- to which Friar Lawrence says, I'll give thee armor to keep, to keep off that word. Adversity sweet milk philosophy to comfort thee, though thou art banished. So in those three little lines, we learn what Friar Lawrence thinks about not only uh, reason, but also the, the power of advice. Friar Lawrence is saying, listen, I can give you armor um, to keep off the, the, the pain of an idea, um, to uh, adversity, sweet milk, philosophy to comfort thee, though thou art banished. So Friar Lawrence says, listen, just by us sitting here and talking and me giving you reasonable advice that you can that you can absorb and you can act on i am actually going to cure you of this illness that you have this 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 um, ailment that is besetting you with 
my words. And uh, Friar Lawrence is a medicine man, and a lot of his speech is tinged with, I have the thing that I can give you that's going to make you healthy. Um, yeah, uh, um, it sounds like he's Shakespeare's ref- referencing Boethius, the consolation yes. of philosophy. And, yeah. and that right? may very he's well be. banished. It's almost the exact same thing. Exactly. Sure. Adversity, sweet milk, philosophy right. to, to aid you in your banishment. And of course, the idea of like, you know, um, milk isn't just like a drink you give to kids, uh, but milk being like uh, something that is also very nourishing and you can mix, um, you can mix sort of potions and tinctures and that kind of thing with it. Um, so Friar, um, um, and so Friar Lawrence assumes that um, reasonable thought is going to be able to sort of penetrate Romeo's heart and mind to be able to soothe him from the ailment that he has of being banished. So I will give the adversity sweet milk philosophy to comfort thee, though thou art banished. And Romeo replies, yet banished? <laughs> Hang up philosophy. Unless philosophy can make a Juliet, displant a town, reverse a prince's doom, it helps not, it prevails not, talk no more. And Friar Lawrence chastises him, oh, then I see that madmen have no ears, to which Romeo replies, how should they, um, that wise men, how should they win that wise men have no eyes? Hmm. Friar Lawrence attempts again, let me dispute thee of thy estate, and Romeo replies, thou canst not speak of that thou dost not feel. Wert thou as young as I, Juliet thy love, an hour but married, Tybalt murder, doting like me, and like me banished, then mightst thou speak, then mightst thou tear thy hair and fall upon the ground as I do now. And then Romeo throws himself down, pulls out a knife, and thinks that he's going to stab himself. Okay. Here and we get Romeo's view of experience and the role that advice can or can't play. Isn't Romeo and, right? And he says a very interesting line, yeah. that thou canst not speak of that thou dost not feel. Right. And Romeo sort of amplifies it. He says, the only way your advice lands is if you were as young as me, you were in love with Juliet, you were an hour but married, and you'd murdered somebody, and like me, doting like me, so you liked her as much as I did, and like me banished, then might thou speak. And he says, and then might thou tear my hair as I do. So maybe, why do you say that Romeo is right? So I think we were talking about this before, that the problems of other people seem easier than your own problems. Mm -hmm. And so at some level, again, I'm drawing on your presentation of Friar Lawrence in the past that he has good intentions, but often does not accomplish what he wants Mm -hmm. to. He doesn't. I mean, they are going to die despite his best intentions and his advice. Maybe Friar Lawrence isn't doing this, but I think there's an easy way to approach. So how old is Romeo in this? Is he 16 or something? Yes, 16, 17. I think there's an easy approach. Like when a 16-year-old has a problem, I think it is often easy for someone older than 16 to just blow off the problem because it doesn't seem like that big of a problem. Mm -hmm. I think of this having a two-year-old right now that like he fusses and he cries because he's a two-year-old. But the thing I have to keep reminding myself of is like his experience of hunger is like the worst hunger he's ever had in his life. Mm -hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, he's actually like very well taken care of and well fed and all that. I think that's an easy thing to do to the problems of 16 year olds to say, this isn't really a problem that you're experiencing right now. But he's not saying this isn't really a problem. He's saying, let me dispute with thee of thy estate. So he's saying, no, uh, he's not belittling the problem. But Romeo thinks he is. But Romeo thinks he is. That's what I mean. And Romeo's point is you haven't been through this. And so, yeah, yeah, you can give a right solution, but that's not the same as you understand the position that I'm in right now uh, you understand how hard this is for me. You're just trying to, you know, of course it's easy for you to say, go for a week and be fine and mm-hmm. then come back. Actually, it's so much harder than that. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead. Amber. Uh, <clears throat> while I agree that, that dismissing teenagers and their feelings is a bad idea, especially for someone that teaches them and works with them. And especially if you want to persuade them to something. That's what I, yeah, sure. yeah. Especially if you want to persuade them to something, but I don't think he was dismissing. He's just asking to speak. Like mm-hmm. I, I will give you a little philosophy and it might help. Mm-hmm. I think the notion that if you haven't experienced a thing, you can't speak to that thing is, is a false notion. It, it, deg- it underestimates both the human imagination and empathy and sympathy, mm-hmm. right? Just because I haven't experienced it myself doesn't mean I've never experienced something like it. Like, yes, everyone's experience is unique, but... That doesn't mean I can't imagine what it would be like and then maybe see with a clearer head a better way out. I think the you can't speak to something you haven't experienced is total hogwash. Would you trust mm -hmm. someone more who's been through that experience? So let's say you lose a close family member and someone who also has lost a close family member tells you, this is what helped me to get through this. 
Does that hit different than? Yes and no. It depends on the on the head. If the head is a clear head, if I know this person is a clear thinker and has experienced the same thing, then maybe I'll take their advice. But I know a lot of people who are not clear thinkers and have a lot of feelings. And if they've experienced the same thing as me, their advice would not avail me. Yeah, what if their advice was like, what really got me through this was Zodiac? And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> then you write yeah. it off and you don't do it. Exactly. Like, I'm going to go to somebody who is clear of mind. And in this case, for me, if I was going through the same thing, there are a couple people I can think of, right, that were banished. Uh, was it Seneca mm-hmm. is one? He writes a letter to his mom about how, hey, it's not so bad. Like, people are everywhere. It's just a new place. And, mm-hmm. and Boethius, right? I, those are the people I'd say, yeah, I haven't. I got a couple of dudes who have. But I think that could be a great, if I don't, Friar Lawrence doesn't do this, but for him to say, actually, there are other people who are in this position and here's what they did. That's what you're proposing. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. But that would then lead to a, if you propose Seneca, you're proposing a Stoic solution, which would have a better outcome mm-hmm. than what happens for Romeo and Juliet. But in the moment, Romeo doesn't, doesn't get Want it, doesn't that, receive yeah. it. I mean, yeah. like, this is the not. point. Like, Friar Lawrence's advice actually is good advice. And his advice is... It would have been the same that Boethius gave him, right? Let's, yeah, his advice is let's think strategically. Right. Um, let's play some sort of long game. And Romeo is only sort of thinking tactically, like what is actually happening right in front of me right now. And so this is, so uh, I I will tie this back up to the existentialist question that we started off this with. But to me, this is always like the tragedy of Friar Lawrence is that he is a man of strategy. um, And his strategy, you know, he's got questionable strategy, the whole like fake, fake poison thing with Juliet. He's a man of strategy, but the strategy never plays itself out tactically like he wants it to. Right. Um, and so you, you, pardon me, you get into that position where um, he almost sort of like exemplifies book knowledge or like, uh, 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 or systematic knowledge as opposed to like the practical application of it. That's what or I, if you're reading about government or right. reading about the leading of men in battle right. uh, as a classical historian versus the feel of that. He's reading the fox Cyrus until we have Cyrus. faces. Hmm? He's the fox until we have faces. Yes, exactly. And for, for, for reference, um, the, the tutor of, of the main heroine in one of C.S. Lewis's books, Till We Have Faces, is very much this like sort of stoic teacher type. And right. Friar Lawrence is fitting that, that, um, that uh, type as well. And he's ultimately a failure in, in that book. Yes, he is. The Fox has a lot of really great ideas. He's a very clear thinker. He's a stoic, but he, he underestimates the spiritual and mm-hmm. because he doesn't think it can happen. Right. I guess now, that's what I was, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're taking it that direction of persuasion, but is, isn't Friar Lawrence essentially speaking a different language than Romeo? Yeah. Romeo and wants pathos and, uh, Friar Lawrence is offering logos. Well, this is my question. Yeah. And that's actually where the direction I was going to go in is, is it that does Romeo want to be persuaded with emotion or does, or is there something fundamentally happening inside of Romeo that absolutely, um, means that no amount of advice is going to penetrate? Is there something sort of much worse going on? Um, so yeah, we could, we could play those games where it's like, all right, what if Friar Lawrence, um, uh, sort of made some sort of appeal to emotions where he was like, but Romeo, if you were banished, think of like the sad love poetry you could write that we could send to Juliet and she would love you even more. And Romeo could be like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> like, I don't know if that would have worked, right? Right. Um, I, I feel like he's got good advice. He's just giving it the wrong day. What he needs to say is, Romeo, look, well, I'm going to feed you some food. We're going to take a walk. I'm going to go let you punch a pillow for a while. Yeah. Then you're going to take a nap and we're going to talk tomorrow morning and then we're going to see if clearer heads can prevail. We'll, we'll, we'll tackle our problem tomorrow after a good yes. meal and a sleep. So, so the constraint of time mm-hmm. is another sort of factor in here. Yeah. Sure. I like thinking of Friar Lawrence as this, of this doctor, this apothecary, this medicine man, because he's trying to cure Romeo, but there's all of these different factors at play. Um, um, the, the sort of, the vir- the virility of the quote unquote infection of Romeo, like right. how f- deeply he feels this thing, Friar Lawrence seems to underestimate, and also the the constrained timeline. Friar Lawrence thinks he has more time than he actually does to right. let this thing play out. Um, and if you think about like those are probably challenges that that you face when you're trying to cure somebody of an illness is like you don't really you 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 can see the symptoms, but you don't really know how deep the problem goes, or you don't really know um, how much. Uh, uh, time you're kind of working with in order to cure this thing? Do you need to go a lot more sort of violent? I mean, or a lot more severe in your cure or less severe? So this is the problem, or this is the art of the advice giver, is that you need to sort of diagnose your audience. And I proposed a question, a thought experiment to my class, and I was pretty much, it was down the line 50-50. And my thought experiment was this. 
would it be okay for Friar Lawrence to lie to Romeo to get him to be banished, to buy him some more time? And the lie could be like, Romeo, I can get you, Juliet, to Mantua tonight, but as long as you get there right now. Would that have been okay if if Friar Lawrence had, had done that? And half the class said yes, like... Time is of the essence, Romeo, he's going to calm down. If you can buy that time, even if it's with a lie, it's a noble lie, and that's okay. And the other half was like, no, if Romeo's going to be a punk and he's not going to listen to this advice, it's not on Friar Lawrence. Friar Lawrence, it's no skin off. I mean, yes, he's going to feel bad that if this doesn't happen, but you have to give true good advice all the time, and it really is up to the person to receive it or not. And that's kind of the ground where it falls down. Should you try to ensure that your advice is followed even though you need to trick the person or should you be giving sort of advice the quote-unquote right way but if the person doesn't follow it um that's their foolishness not yours i'm not convinced that romeo would have received just for the earlier question i'm not convinced he would have received advice no matter what given the circumstance yeah and that's the gamble of the lie sure and the history of the play is that he's he essentially moves from big passion to big passion who's Mm -hmm. the it's not rosaline rosaline who's in love with until he's not Mm -hmm. um and there's no telling what the next passion will bring Mm -hmm. um rc cars yeah which would be great Mm -hmm. that would be a much happier end to it Mm -hmm. no i think the the risk you take in the first off lying is bad that's my again classical hot take is don't lie um but also that you run the risk of making it worse so you promise to bring her to Mantua that night. You can't do that. And then what does Romeo do? Mm-hmm. Well, then you have to lie to him that you're bringing, oh, no, it'll be tomorrow night. And then you're down a path that there's really and no getting out that's of. That's right. Um, though I, I'm just trying not to be too precious with this of the option, you know, Friar Lawrence could actually try to get Juliet out of um, Verona. Verona into Mantua. And maybe just not in one night. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, that's what he tries to do. Yeah. And so there, there are more options than just... Um, anyway, there's more that he could do. So, mm-hmm. I, ultimately, no, I don't think that Friar Lawrence should. Do, how does the wrong justify it? And I understand the point is that it's to save a life in the end, but he doesn't know at that point yep. that Correct. Romeo will actually kill himself. Mm-hmm. Even Romeo pulling the knife out, it's like a show yeah. of, oh, you, you know, it's he seems to feel this, but Friar Lawrence doesn't know that in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he could. Yeah. Certainly. I want to hear, hear AJ take the oh, other yeah. side that lies are good. No. Oh, okay. But, so it's but, a bad idea. If Romeo ever finds out, he'll never listen to you guys right. again. Yeah, never, yeah. yeah so it point. is It is like a card you can only play once. Sure. And it's pretty risky. If it works, they'll appreciate it. But if it doesn't work, you've burned every everything. bridge. Even you if it works, had. they'll appreciate it, but they'll still be. They'll be like, suspicious of everything for, you say from them. Exactly. On. It, is a, it is a complete burn your fleet. Yeah. What's the point that the students make? Um, that it is sort of expedient in the moment. Um, that that um, um, you, you kind of. You need, you need to buy that time for Romeo to get some perspective. Sure. That's that's the argument. I mean, you could say we're going to drive around and accomplish a thing and just pick a really far away spot yeah, yeah. and hope that he kind of calms down. Um, that's fair. Now, going back to that question where Friar Lawrence says, I, from first principles, can give you advice about your life. And Romeo says, it can only be done, spun out of your own experience, which you don't have, old man. Um, uh when I when we were talking about AJ's episode, the the idea that I had was okay. Um, Friar Lawrence, if Friar Lawrence is correct in his assumption, he's assuming that there is sort of a um, a human nature that he's assuming Romeo has a nature that he can appeal to using reason and philosophy. And I would say that that, that Friar Lawrence, that, that that assumption is a very classical one, mm-hmm. that he is, he is um, uh, that human beings have a nature, that nature can be appealed to. The very canons of rhetoric are built around appealing to our natures to persuade, in this case, to persuade us. Um, so Friar Lawrence is sort of coming at him with a, with that sort of, that presupposition that human beings can be persuaded because at the very bottom, we are all rational creatures that we can be persuaded by but rational even, But even answers. you setting it up like that, so then the failure of Friar Lawrence to persuade Romeo, are you then going to say that it's a failure on Romeo's part to not be able to Well, be I don't persuaded? know. So then this is the question. Uh, or maybe Friar Lawrence's assumption is wrong and that, that that human nature is not something that we can have. That he is mistaken in thinking that it is um, 
he thinks it's easier to appeal to human beings than it actually is. And now here he, here he has a case study in front of him. Here he has a specimen or here he has a, um, a variant of a human being in front of him and his um, methodology isn't working. Right. And so the question is, um, is, does Romeo's answer maybe give more weight to the idea of that, um, that it really does need to be our uh, experience that forms relationships and bonds. Like Romeo is only going to be able to be spoken to and spoken into by people who have had similar Romeo experiences. Friar Lawrence assumes that there's kind of like a, if I'm going to sort of maybe, um, what's that called where you sort of um, exaggerate it to make the point? But it's, um, Hyperbole? Yeah, maybe I'll sort of hyperbolize it to make the point. Friar Lawrence assumes that there's like a brotherhood of man that we can all talk to each other and understand each other. And Romeo is presenting an idea that it's maybe a lot more ghettoized. Like our human experience is a lot more individualized. individualized yep. And really you can only enter into somebody's uh, ghetto of experience if you've experienced similar things. And I, and my, so my question maybe Hanenberg to you is, is that kind of what you think the existentialists were getting at when they're talking about, um, that exper- that their existence precedes essence and, and. So you think they're taking Romeo's view? Yeah. Or that Romeo is, you, you could say that well, what Romeo is, commu- is expressing by saying, you don't know me, dad, or you don't understand right. me, Friar Lawrence, is um, uh, 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 an example of, of what they then sort of crystallize into a philosophy of an existentialism. Is Romeo being existentialist in that pronouncement? Oh, a pregnant pause. Hmm. Yeah, probably. I think he's more just 16. But okay, then this is ultimately my point, which is that existentialism is, is immature. <laughs> no, that's you. not my point. Okay. Um, but, um, but, that every, but, like, but that's the thing. If I say he's just being 16, part of what he's doing is trying to make decisions about the nature that has been foisted before him, and mm-hmm. that's what Flyer Lawrence is doing. He's saying there is a nature, and Romeo is, is having an existential crisis. He is having to say... What, what is th- worth existing for? Yeah, yeah. No, what do I think about this nature that you are telling me about? Yeah, right. right? You are mm-hmm. saying that the experiences of man are common. Mm-hmm. He has to make the choice whether he's going to internalize yes. that. Mm-hmm. The, the good existentialist would say both of them had made, have made decisions about their, their essence, right? Both of them existed before. Romeo existed before somebody came along and said, there is a right way to do this. And now he has to make a choice. He is, he's having an existential crisis is what's happening. But Friar Lawrence is saying there's a right way to do this. And I'm able to communicate it and understand it because we are of the same nature. Yes. And, fr- and so Friar Lawrence is assuming that. Um, so he's, so then my, Friar so Lawrence then, is not an existentialist. So if, if Romeo rejects Friar Lawrence's advice, does that mean that the existentialists have a point? Or does it just mean that Romeo is, has a certain, there are certain qualities that he has where it's actually, he's broken the bond of human nature. I don't know. I think it, both both philosophies here have purchase. Mm-hmm. So the philosophy that there is a human nature has a lot to say about what's happening. That Friar Lawrence is Friar Lawrence is a wise man. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, here's what humans are supposed to do. And I can tell, like I can walk you through it, right? Mm-hmm. We've been through this before. This ain't the first rodeo where someone's been exiled in exactly. love, my man. Mm-hmm. Like this ain't the first time it happened. I can give you all kinds of philosophy that will, that will walk you through this. And it comes from first principles. Mm-hmm. So... It, the the good like human nature non existentialist would say that is Romeo's essence, mm-hmm. and Romeo is not recognizing mm-hmm. right. His essence preceded his existence, and Romeo is in his existence, kind of saying no to his essence, which is one of human nature. The existentialist would say that both of them had existence before ever making choices about what someone said their essence was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friar Lawrence has accepted it and therefore applied it to all men. He's mm-hmm. doing the existential thing where I I act a certain way and I assume all men should act this way. And then Romeo is making the same choice, but he is rejecting what the people have told him, right? And saying, I will exist a different way. And all men should exist such that they can only relate to people that have had experiences that are similar. Both would apply. Sure. I don't think this situation proves either one correct. So do you think that Friar Lawrence is wrong in making that assumption by saying the thing that I experience as my human nature is something that is applied to everybody else. Do you think Uh, he's wrong in doing that? I'm not an existentialist. I think he's right. I think humans do have an inherent nature that they, that they grow into no matter where you, 
you know, what experiences you've had. Humans, humans kind of function a certain okay. way. So then I'll, I'll agree. With, I agree with you. Let's. So then, if Friar Lawrence is correct, then why isn't Romeo getting it? Is it? A, is it? Just, is it immaturity? And yeah, he's, and he's maybe, immature. He's okay. doofus. Okay, cool. So let's say that it is immaturity. The reason that Romeo isn't getting it is because he is either because of of his emotional state or because of his sort of moral character development. He is um, making it hard for him to, for the better better angels of his nature to appeal to him. This is, so to go back to what Thomas was saying about his two-year-old, what Romeo is experiencing here is the worst thing he's ever felt in his whole life. Yeah. Yes. And he assumes that it's worse than anybody's ever felt because he's never felt anything like it. And this reminds me of a, I don't know if he's ever listened to this podcast, but a lecture I got from one of my professors named Adam Nieder. And I've told you this before, I'm sure. But he talked about, it's the best, it was the best 10 minutes I've ever heard on youth ministry anywhere. Mm -hmm. He said, it is dangerous to dismiss the, the emotions of the youth because they don't have a great wealth of experience to, la- to lean on when they're going through something. And their brain is also not developed enough to run all of the emotions through the logic filter. What they are feeling is more intense than what you have felt in 30 years by like tenfold, right? So for them, this is the only breakup in the universe. It's never happened never before happened. this right. bad. Yep. Like no one has ever felt this ever ever, 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 and they are having a wash of emotions they can't even think through. Yeah. That's what's happening to Romeo, okay. right? He is experiencing this, and he thinks it is magnified and could swallow the world. 20 years down the line, he's like, nah, it was, it was all right. We broke up, Yeah, right? And I could go through another breakup. Or I went to Manchu, and I just kind of like, you know, I chilled learned, out, there for a week carpentry, and, and then right. came Exile, back. Exile, not yeah. so bad, right? Now, me and Juliet are together. So then, how then do we not know that what the existentialists have spun into a philosophy about human nature and, and what it means to be a human person is not just a codified version of human immaturity, is my question. Like they're looking at what they're looking at Romeo and, and or they're looking at that experience and saying like what Romeo is going through is that's what it really means that's that's what human human experience is like. Friar Lawrence is like this old age that's try, this old way that is trying to like implement their I don't know superstition of faith upon upon the wildness of humanity. Your your assumption stands on an assumption that the existentialists can't make. Your assumption is that there is a truth, there is a goal, there is a way man should be, right? Mm-hmm. The ideal type. You think there is a, a, a thing into which we should mature. Mm-hmm. The but existentialists would say that is not Except true. for Sartre's insistence on freedom is this ultimate goal that we have. Yeah, so there is, there, he has an ideal type. It's right. a man that's truly free. Right. And, but Romeo isn't, like he's insisting so. on his own freedom, right? That's so what I mean. I'm wondering if Romeo's the hero, the existentialist hero. That's that's yeah. That's kind he's of my question. Man. Yeah, he throws off all the background he's had before. He chooses his own destiny, and come what may, he rides it to the end. He, and the end being like like. But you know, so the, so what if it's death? Like he chose that death. Yeah, as opposed to being forced into a life of um, uh, like boring misery for the rest of his life, right? Yeah, and being held down by first principles, that, yeah, right? Sure. So if there is no way for man to actually be, if yeah. there's nothing requiring us to act in a certain way, even though Sartre says freedom at all costs, right. which I don't think he can Justify. logically say, sure. then it doesn't matter what he chooses. There is no such thing as immaturity because we don't have to mature in anything. He gets to make choices about what he is. You think they would say that? that I don't know, that there's not something immature about uh, that Romeo at 16 should grow into... Romeo at 18 and learn some things between those two. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's logically consistent. Okay. I don't think it's logically consistent to say there is nothing that man has to be and then to say he is doing it wrong. Sure. So how would an existentialist give advice? Like how would they persuade somebody of something? Well, or what Or what would they – yeah, like uh, – Well, they can't. That's, he, Sartre, that's, Sartre does this. He mm-hmm. said that. He yeah. said, I cannot judge yeah, yeah. except that I can say you are making an error or acting in bad faith. Like you are saying one thing and doing another. I can point that out. Yeah, yeah. I cannot say you are wrong. Yeah. So he can't. He can't. So Friar Lawrence can't say anything. So what's bad faith? Bad faith is I think one thing but do another? Yeah. Okay. It, it's a hypocrisy. Okay. So as long as Romeo is not um, being hypocritical. Which he's not. And he's as long – what's the other one you said? Uh, it was freedom at all costs. Or did you say oh, uh, in error, error in judgment. I mean, logic, logic error. You might say it's a logic error. So he ultimately will make that a lot. Banishment is worse than death. Yes, but how can you even say that's a logic error? Just because I disagree with him, yeah, but that's not yeah. really like a logic error. I guess <laughs> I, I'm correct in all things is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I've always known Thomas. Yeah, sure. Uh, so maybe you can't. 
that it feels like the weights are different, but mm-hmm. I also don't have a sense of exile the way that Romeo does. So maybe it's not a logic error. But that's what I'm saying. I think Romeo could be viewed as the existentialist hero of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't think Shakespeare views him that no. way. And I don't know if that's, yeah, that plays into this. But Shakespeare writing those lines into Romeo's mouth is understanding something about human nature sure. or understanding about something about humanity, which is, yes, which is that there is a, um, um, you don't uh, relate to this of like the not wanting to get advice from someone like maybe I'm just a punk 32 year old, but like I, I still have that too. Of, You're young. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I don't think it's only a six. I'm just trying to say it's not only a 16 year old thing. It's a, you don't know what I'm going through. Like you haven't lived through what I've so lived then, through. So then is this, is this it, right? Then are we like, are we really then broken into, if Friar Lawrence thinks there's one human nature that can be appealed through to reason. Maybe the other extreme is existentialists who say that uh, uh, it is, um, you cannot give advice except in these, are you in, in these two things, whether or not you're acting in good faith or whatever the other one was. Logic error. And maybe something's in the middle where there's like, I don't know, like the any, there's nine enneagrams and only the five can give advice to a five or I don't know. <laughs> like, so my point from before is not necessarily. So in terms of whether persu- persuasion will work, mm-hmm. obviously it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a failure on Friar Lawrence's part. Do you? Yeah. you okay, give, give me your argument as to why you think that's a failure for Friar Lawrence. We've talked about this. Before. I think this is going to get us back to the trolley problem. Yeah, of course, <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm in favor of killing people. No. Um, so uh, my point being that I think Friar Lawrence says all the right things and it doesn't persuade Romeo, which implies some type of failure there. Does Friar Lawrence try and shift angles to persuade a different way? Or does he insist on his, I'm going to be high and mighty, I'm going to argue this the right way, and then it's kind of your fault whether you listen or not. It's kind of blasé toward the actual person who ultimately kills themselves. Yeah, I mean, so this is maybe a bit of a stretch of analogy, but there are kind of two, I I really like football, like European soccer. I really love football. I'm a big football you fan. You keep referencing two different sports. I'm kind of yeah, yeah, funny, funny. Um, and so I used to, I used to live in Amsterdam, and so I became a huge fan of Ajax, which is a team in Amsterdam, and they have a way of playing the game. Okay, Ajax. Um, Ajax. I know it's spelled A J A X, so it should be Ajax, it's but it's poorly. pronounced Ajax. No, no, it's not. It's <laughs> so they have a way <laughs> of playing the game, and and they have a sort of a cultural understanding that if you win the game, but you haven't played the game the Dutch way, you didn't win the game. Okay, and then there's the other kind of of uh, and there and it's really fascinating to see culturally how different uh, European cultures and even South American cultures go about playing the game because it really does express their own cultural identity, and um, and then there are very specific coaches. There are coaches that will play the game a certain way and they will force their team to play that way, and if they lose. They won't deviate, pardon me, they won't deviate from playing that way. And then there are coaches who are pure tacticians as opposed to systems people. They will set their teams up to win against this very specific opponent they're playing and the very specific way their opponent is playing. Um, And they will change their style of play. They will do all sorts of different kinds of things in order to win the game. And I get the sense that Friar Lawrence is the first kind, that he is not going to think of other ways to persuade if the rational way isn't working. Right. Like he is only going to give sort of, you know, adversity, sweet milk philosophy. And he's not going to do the pathos wrote or he's not going to do the ethos wrote and say like Romeo killing yourself is immoral or whatever. Right. He's very much like, a, I don't know, an idealist in mm-hmm. that sense right. or, or a purist. Right. Whereas you could get somebody who is a lot more pragmatic who would look for all of those sort of different maybe tactical approaches. And I, and so, and I think about that little heuristic all the time, um, uh, about being a, a systems person who is doing a certain thing in a certain way, and if you fail, you're, you're going to fail doing it the beautifully right or the right way. Um, or there's also the, the, the hyper-pragmatic that it is all about the results, and if you hoofed the ball forward and, like, you know, battering rammed it in the goal twice, and then you set up 11 guys in front of the in front of the net and they could never get in there, like, so be it. And who mm-hmm. cares about beauty? Um, and I, I think about that in relation to Friar Lawrence giving advice to somebody. And, of course, like AJ's pointed out, this is pertinent to us as educators because we are people who are interacting with teenagers and oftentimes are giving advice. And I, oft, I, I really often think this, like... Do, do I want to, you know, um, do I want to give what I think is like the theoretical best advice or do I really want to like do the, make sure that it, it pragmatically works itself out and that the student takes it be, because I've tailored it to their 
receptors or whatever. You're saying that Friar Lawrence is an academic, not a youth pastor. And that's, yes. Right. Not a youth pastor. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And youth pastors are practical and know how to go through different tactics. Which is why the tragedy for me of Friar Lawrence is, here's an academic who has high-minded ideals, who right. gives great advice the whole play, and it doesn't land, and now he has people dead at the end, and he is a... A, a, a blubbering shell at the end of the book, and he's completely beside himself decrying fate and saying that, like, uh, he even says, like, uh, 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 I'll find the line, but he says that a, um, um, uh, a greater power, when he, when, he, when he finds out that Romeo has died, he says to Juliet, a greater power than we can contradict has thwarted our intents. Um, so he basically says, like, listen, we, we played chess against the wrong guy, right. and he beat us. Right. Um, and um, fair and square. So doesn't this all give evidence to the practical mattering more than the academic? I w- that's what I wonder. Um, but then what's, what is the practical for Romeo if nothing was going to get through to him? I don't think it's the practical. I think it's the medium. He's a poor rhetor. Yeah. He's bad at rhetoric. Yeah. His job is to convince and he does sorry, it poorly. Romeo, Friar Lawrence, Friar Lawrence is. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Rhetoric. Okay. Right. He's in what way? Like what failing? So he, he gives a sound logical argument. We're us reading it now couple hundred years later, it sounds great. Why is it not good rhetoric? Because he didn't consider his audience. It's the same mistake that Odysseus makes when he's talking to Achilles. He goes up and he tries to offer a bunch of logic and a bunch of like, look, come back to battle, get stuff, fight Hector, get glory. I don't see what the problem is. Right. Was, Achilles, Achilles, was Odysseus right though? Uh, Odysseus is absolutely right. Like mm. his, his appeal makes perfect sense. And he appeals a little bit to the feels. Phoenix does more to the feels. And I don't know, he's, he is making the mistake of thinking that his logical, I will give you the balm of philosophy is going to reach a 16 year old kid who just lost his wife and his home. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the wrong assumption. Yep. You cannot make that assumption. He needs to go to the fields and he needs to walk him outside and he needs to get him in a, like they're in his cell. That's the first problem. So you do think that Romeo is capable of being convinced in this moment? I think, uh, yes. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's in this moment. Yeah. I think he needs a change of venue. I think he yeah. needs a, ta- a change of time frame. Right. And I think he needs a change of, of medium. And yeah. that's the issue, right? It's one of the reasons we teach kids great books is because it's a medium other than us. So yeah. you definitely disagree with Romeo saying that thou canst not speak of what thou dost not feel. hundred uh, percent. I gotcha. disagree. I've, I've di- like, it's the same thing that happens that uh, my seniors have come to tell me that they go to a classroom and are not allowed to speak because they don't have the experiences that other people have in the classroom. Mm. I think that is a folly, mm-hmm. right? I can apply logic no matter what experiences I've had, right? You don't, you don't think that that logic is mediated through certain experiences that people... To like say that extreme just, experiences? Well, like for me, so, so if I say I'm the logical one and I have the logic, and then doesn't that just say to you you're wrong? Like you lack the logic? Like pe- there are... Many people can be logical and still come to different conclusions. See the great book, see the great conversation. That's I, I understand the point you're making, and totally shutting people out of any kind of conversation seems wacky. But there is a place to say that, like you and Graham disagree on things. You're both logical, right? Yeah, yeah. You disagree I'm, on the trolley problem. I don't think one of you is wrong for mm-hmm. your disagreement. Sure, but he can talk, and that's my I point. I permit Graham to talk. Yes, is, yeah. and and like granted, I would never go into a classroom where someone was talking about an emotional experience they had and say like. I am the logical one. Let me bring a little logic. But that's here. what we're talking about here. Of Friar well, this, bringing and logic. that is so why this he is, is a bad, bad at what he's no, doing. No, but this is maybe, and maybe this gets back to the beginning where, where we were saying uh, Friar Lawrence and Romeo are assessing the gravity of the situation, and maybe Friar Lawrence is saying that this isn't as grave as you think it is, and Romeo is saying this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Right. Like if you sort of think of the bell curve of things that humans can experience in life, Romeo thinks he's on the far left-hand tail of it, and Fire Lawrence thinks he's still kind of in the middle. This isn't all that bad. Um, And that is the thing that's mediating their response to this. And and Fire Um, Lawrence is misreading what his audience is feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, if we sort of invert this question for us, and this is kind of the last question I want to think about, is then how, if Romeo can't receive advice... That is good advice that could have saved his life and saved a mountain of heartache and his, you know, and his marriage and his life and, uh, and maybe even still like reunified the families. The great irony is that like Capulet kind of thinks Romeo is, a, is an okay guy mm-hmm. and, and um, he says so at the party. Um, um, how then, what do we need to do to not be Romeo? Like what needs to happen for a man or for a person to be able to receive advice, even if it's from somebody who maybe has not had the, the depth 
of the of the experience that you had. Um, so I was reading a while ago um, Xenophon's Cyrus the Great. Mm-hmm. And Cyrus the Great talks, he sort of talks a little bit about advice. He says, don't let people flatter you. And then um, Machiavelli brings it back up in The Prince. Um, But uh, Cyrus says that only the virtuous man can um, hear and apply good advice. This is sort of the statement that he says, which is a very classical thing to say. Um, And I wonder if that's true. I wonder if there is a lack of of virtue in Romeo that is kind of blinding him to receive Friar Lawrence's advice. Um, and, um, he's proud. He, he, he's proud. He's, um, he's young. He's That's young. The part of it. So there's, there's an immaturity there. Cause if he had followed Friar Lawrence's advice, none of the stuff at the end would happen. Correct. correct? So yes, but I don't know. Some part of me wants to stand up for Romeo. Who's clearly the hero of this thing. No, that. Sometimes the advice you get is not good. And again, Friar Lawrence starting from a place of, hey, actually the thing you think is devastating isn't that devastating. I don't think it's correct. Mm -hmm. I think AJ is spot on when he says that actually the loss of your wife and your hometown is pretty devastating. So I don't know where to take it, but just to say that of Romeo needs the discernment to see what's good in what Lawrence says Mm -hmm. and then accept the good and spit out the bad, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Anyway, um... I don't, I don't have anything else to add to that um, other than... Um, Can I ask a question? Yeah, but go for it. You seem very focused on the advice piece of this mm-hmm. as opposed to Romeo's reaction to the entire situation. Mm-hmm. Why not center this on Romeo should have behaved differently? Like, you seem very focused on the, like, Friar Lawrence advice giving in that moment mm-hmm. when the problem is that Romeo is freaking out, right? Yeah, well, that's kind of my last question is how do we then be... Um, Try to be people who can receive advice as like not be don't be like Romeo, and maybe maybe also be able to um, have a little more um, measured reactions to the vicissitudes of the world of or of your life. Yeah, um, I guess what I'm to oversimplify. It's like shouldn't wouldn't it be better if Romeo didn't need the advice in the first place? Like it, if he was the kind of person that could just. Be better. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, it just seems interesting to focus on the advice piece of it as opposed to Romeo, who's the one who's like messing up and should have done differently. Well, it's almost like um, when you have somebody who's developing like Romeo and he's immature, um, uh, you almost don't want big bad things to happen to them because they don't have the framework to deal with it. Sure. Whereas if this happened to Romeo, um, you know, the 35 year old, maybe, you know, he could still have lost, had been, you know, Boethius wasn't 17 when he got right. exiled. Sure. And now there was Seneca. And he moped for a little while. And maybe even he moped for a while until Lady Philosophy said, stop listening to your music. Right. Um, like, <laughs> Take turn off, headphones off. Turn off that right. Spotify channel yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, so maybe it's like uh, um, there's, there's just uh, no getting out of it that if like – seriously bad things happen to teenagers or or people who have, are still developing that virtue. Like it's a completely different playbook than what Friar Lawrence thinks it is. Maybe that's fair. Maybe it's, it's, uh, and that's what he's maybe he's getting at when he's talking about fate is like, um, all the advice in the world isn't going to help somebody who is, who doesn't want to hear it. I don't know. Who doesn't want to hear? Uh, I don't want to like completely, um, give like, the 17 year old an out from being mature and making the right decision. Now, that being said, whenever I teach this book, 80% of the class are absolutely incredibly frustrated by Romeo. They find him a frustrating person. Because he is. Because right? he is incredibly frustrating. He's a frustrating person. And then the 20% are like the people that just love everybody. And it's like, you got to feel sorry for him, the poor yep. guy. Um, anyway, um, I just, yes. The reason I, I took it from the Friar Lawrence point of view is. I think that's more often how I find myself oh, the position is, you're in. Sure. is the position that I'm in is, is the, is the giving of advice and how much should I care about, um, the quality of the advice regardless, regardless of how the student's going to hear it or how much should I care about? Like, is this, am I giving it in such a way that this, this specific student is going to hear it, receive it and do it? I think the other part that's hard is that you don't you will see a response in a week and you have no idea what the re, what the reaction three years down the road yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sometimes the you've talked about your example of 
water off a duck's back. Your mm-hmm. mom giving you this advice to like kind of toughen up yep. and not appreciating it, appreciating it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's something you remember 20 years later, yep. whatever. So that complicates it also. I w- the thing that just keeps coming to my mind is from the, my, um, I forget what we t- titled the episode. I think it was retrospective from the ombudsman of fun, but the, what seems like Friar Lawrence's failure is not making some type of connection with Romeo in the moment of, Hey, I care about this too. And Hey, this is actually a devastating thing. And we can get to the advice later, but for the, for the immediate reaction, am I understanding this correctly? Romeo hears it immediately mm -hmm. and immediately Friar Lawrence says, Hey, I got an answer for you. Yeah. That seems like the failure. Take this. You'll feel better in the morning, right? He's almost got this, uh, like uh, medic medical way of dispensing advice. And I think what Romeo needed was a a shock. He needed to say, Romeo, what, what season is the best one to plant trees? Yeah. Get Mm. get him thinking about something else. Mm. Like let play some chess winter. Right. Yeah. Do do something with him that yeah. isn't. Yeah. Let me try to dump logic on you while you're feeling emotional. Yeah. But there yeah. will be a time for the logic later. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. When Romeo is receptive to it. Anyway, this is interesting. Um, Romeo as existential hero is an interesting question. I, um, I still don't know what to think about it. Um, anyway, but that's uh, that's talking about advice and persuasive discourse. Uh, or maybe the final word is um, here's a book that I've taught for ten years and by having AJ's podcast last week have now like found this other little nook and cranny um, and to be able to sort of flesh out and, and think through it. And, and, and the, the book is rich enough to allow us to go there. So, th- you know, that's an example of just sort of the continuation of a good, of, of a, you know, a good piece of literature continuing to yield up its fruit over the years. That's another, you know, very yeah. good. Cool. All right. Well, this has been classical stuff you should cogitate. Uh, <laughs> we're glad you are here listening to us. We we do this because we love it. I mean, that's that's why we're here. But if you like it too, you can also support us on patreon.com slash classical stuff. And we've got all kinds of goodies over there for you. You can hear our between episode banter. We sometimes release little special things for our for our listeners. Monthly AMAs. Monthly AMAs and some of my old COVID episodes and some of our earliest episodes that you cannot get anywhere else now and they're available only there. Uh, that's, that's something you can find there. If you will feel like supporting us, uh, if you don't feel like supporting us, you can also reach out to us on the twits at, at C L S S C A L stuff. You can find our website at classical stuff.net and you can email us at the guys at classical stuff.net. And I think that's it. Yep. So, so too. So let's all hope that Graham takes my advice and hops in the shower every now and again. And for the rest of you, uh, you know, listen to your fryer every, (laughs) every, every time he decides to speak up. Very good. Right. He's a a deep fryer. (laughs) Oh, man.